Well, good morning to all of you. I hope you had a good week. Hope you're ready for next week. Um, yeah, so we're going to continue our, our study in 1 John. And last time, we studied from the last verse of chapter 2 and through verse 10 of chapter 3. And main emphasis was that how you behave, what you practice, um, shows you who you belong to. And uh, some of the conclusions we made from that lesson was that uh, those who are living in sin on an ongoing basis aren't Christians. Another conclusion we made was that sin is unnatural for Christians. Uh, And thirdly, that Christians should be resembling Christ more and more. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off and start at verse 11 and go through verse 24. Now, most of that passage, we're just going to kind of skim over very quickly, uh, verses 11 through 18, because they talk about loving your brother. And we studied this a little bit um, back in the fall, I believe it was, when we studied from uh, 1 John chapter 2. So, um, and then uh, after we get through verses 11 through 18, we will kind of make verses 19 through 24 our primary focus this morning. So first, I'll, go, I'll read verses 11 through 18. I'll make a few comments on them, and then we'll get serious about verses 19 through 24. I'm reading 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, reading from the ESV. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Just a few comments on on this passage before we get to the next one. Um, This passage is saying, love your brother and don't be like Cain. A character trait of Cain is resenting someone who is living more righteously than you. So don't be like Cain. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. This is normal. It can be a healthy sign, actually. Unfortunately, I think some Christians are hated for the wrong reasons. Not because they resemble Christ so much, but maybe because they're not doing a great job of looking like Christ. Just a little aside there. If we're going to be hated, we might as well be hated for the right reasons. Um, Because we love our brothers, we know we've passed from death to life. Now that's related to what we're going to be talking about here in a minute. Jesus showed us what love really is. And talk is cheap. We should be like Jesus and love in deed and in truth. 
Now let's, uh, let's look at verses 19 through 24. Just a few kind of opening comments before I read this passage. John has been emphasizing uh, already, especially in this chapter, that fruit, behavior, shows who you belong to, shows parentage. And he's using the same concept here. He's maybe applying it a little bit differently here in this case. You remember Jesus said, by their, by their fruit you shall know them, something like that. Uh, well, it turns out that by our fruit, we can know something about ourselves, too. And that's an important tool for us as Christians. Okay, now I'll just read these verses. Starting at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask from him, because we keep and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So what we're going to do now is we're going to just kind of march through these verses and I'll make a few comments about them. And then we'll try to um, collect ourselves and, and draw some, some broad strokes and, and some um, more broad conclusions about these few verses. There's a lot's packed in here in just these few verses. I think it's pretty important. Uh, first, in verse 19, John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. What is this? Is he talking about something that's going to follow? Or is he talking about something that he has already talked about? If you look in the verses that follow, there's not really a good fit for the word this. Uh, verse 20, is it, you could almost put that in parentheses because he's expanding about um, the need for reassurance. Verse 21 kind of uh, tells us the effect of reassurance, but it doesn't really say, neither of those verses really say how we got reassured, what the this is in verse 19. But I think if you look backward and look at verse 18, it's pretty obvious that verse 18 fits very well for the this in verse 19. Loving in deed and in truth is what he's just finished talking about. Loving in deed and in truth. So by true love, we know that we are of the truth. Now verse 20, why do we need reassurance? Because our heart condemns us sometimes. And the word here for heart is cardia. It's a, a, I guess a very general term here. And I think it could be referring to our conscience more specifically. But verse 20 tells us God is greater. His verdict is always accurate. It's what really matters. Verse 21, having a reassured heart, we have confidence. And then verse 22, furthermore, because we are obeying and pleasing God, which is the basis for our reassurance, really, whatever we ask, we receive. 
verse 23. And what are we supposed to be obeying? For one thing, we're supposed to be believing in the name of his son. Everything starts there. And we're supposed to be loving one another. These are the two commandments that John really calls out here in verse 23. And then finally, verse 24. Those who obey abide in God and God in them. And we know he abides in us because of his spirit. There are, there are, I've picked out three lessons from this passage. For some reason, I, I tend to do everything in threes. So I've got three, three lessons from this passage. Uh, the first lesson is that our fruit should be a source of reassurance. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Uh, the fact is, our heart or our conscience sometimes condemns us. And it's not necessarily telling us the true state of affairs. If your heart says you're guilty, you might be guilty, or you might not be guilty. Uh, you can't tell for sure just by listening to your heart. If our heart always told us the truth, we really wouldn't need uh, these verses about reassurance, would we? So there are folks out there right now who, who feel like they are fine and aren't. There are other folks who are, are Christians and feel very insecure, but in reality are secure. So whenever we are feeling condemned, it, it, in the end, we either need to repent because we are guilty, or we need reassurance. And how do we know which, which we need to do? Well, John points at our fruit here. Do you really love your brother in deed and in truth? Well, if so, you are a child of God and you can be reassured. Now, John, several times in this letter, just to kind of emphasize this theme, I want to point out several times in this letter where John says something like this. Uh, back in 1 John chapter 2, he said in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And also in the passage we just read um, earlier this morning at verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Now, finally, in chapter 4, and this one is just maybe a little bit more complicated. Uh, in chapter 4, and I'll start at verse 12, John says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so I would take that as being the definition of perfected love. When we love one another, God, has, God is abiding in us, and he is perfecting his love in us. All right. Now, if you jump from verse 12 down to verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence. This is the same Greek word here, confidence, as, as we saw in verse 21. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I used to think that perfect love casts out fear just simply means if you really love God, you won't be afraid of him. 
And, and there is truth in that. I mean, if you really love God, you're, you're, you're going to have a strong relationship there, and there will not be fear in that relationship. But I don't think that's actually what John is saying here. I think what he's saying is that perfect love, love that has been perfected in us so that we love our brothers, shows us that God is at work in us and that we really are the children of God. I don't need to be afraid. I I can see the evidence of of him perfecting his love in my heart. So this is is something that John has said several times here in, in this letter that um, the fruit that God produces in our lives with our cooperation indicates that we are children of God. Um, Paul says something similar, and he's talking about deacons. And and again, he uses the same Greek word here for confidence, and we're going to look at that word a little bit more in, in a minute. But in 1 Timothy 3, verses 12 and 13, he says this about deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if we are Christians, we should be, or we will be really, we will be bearing fruit. And if our conscience is bothering us, we should be able to look at that fruit in our lives and say, um, you know, be reassured by the fact that we really are branches on the vine because there's fruit there. And if we see a lot of bad fruit, well, we need to repent. But those who have good fruit uh, have confidence before God, should have confidence. Now, this idea that that I I believe John is teaching here, um, I think it can be taken to a wrong extreme. I just want to point out some ways in which this could be abused or warped or whatever. Um, I think, for example, it would, you know, one thing that could maybe happen be if we, we get a little too focused on our own fruit and maybe start taking credit for it ourselves, that'd be a huge mistake and kind of defeat the whole point because uh, when you look at the fruit, it's supposed to indicate that God is doing something that I couldn't have done myself. And if you start taking credit for it, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of what John is teaching here. Uh, in a similar way, I think that it is possible to maybe become a little bit too obsessed with our fruit. Uh, we're, you know, we're supposed to be looking to, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And um, I think fruit could, could become too much of a focus. We don't want that to happen, maybe. Um, or we might imagine that the fruit is good when it really isn't. You know, the Pharisee and the publican in the temple, the Pharisee was looking at what he thought was great fruit in his life, and it, it really wasn't good fruit. He really didn't love his brother, I don't think. And um, I think he was being motivated by pride. So that would be another pitfall. Or we might start thinking that our good fruit makes us deserve what God has, has done for us, or that... Um, We deserve to be on the vine because we're bearing such great fruit. Or another way, another pitfall here, is to start looking at the good fruit in our lives over here and say, it's so good that I can just kind of put up with this sin problem over here. So I'm just pointing out some pitfalls here um, to to what what I believe John is teaching, that we need to be careful not to take this to a wrong extreme. But the basic truth here 
I think is a very valuable one, which is that if we're abiding on the vine, we will be producing fruit, and that fruit can be a source of assurance to us, should be a source of reassurance to us that we really are on the vine. Our fruit should be a source of reassurance. Okay, so that's one lesson. The next two lessons will not take as long to cover. The second lesson is that an unassured heart, and I'm not sure if unassured is even a word, if an, uh, an unassured heart is unhealthy. John says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So if our hearts are reassured, we have confidence. If you turn that around, um, if your heart is not reassured, you don't have confidence. Now is a good time for us to take a look again at this word confidence. What, is, what does he mean? What does this word confidence really mean? Uh, the strong entry for this word is, you, uh, is, describes it like this. Freedom, openness, especially in speech, freedom of speech, boldness, confidence. Here, here are a couple examples of, of where it was used in the New Testament. In John 11, verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, that's the word confidence, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's just being very open. This is how it is. In Acts 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, boldness, that's the word again, and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 1 John 2.28, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So the word confidence, it means, the Greek word there means openness, it means freedom of speech, it means boldness. Now an unassured heart is unhealthy because Lacking that kind of confidence, the openness, the freedom of speech, the boldness, lacking that, the relationship is not what it should be. In fact, um, if, I mean, just think about some of the friends that you're close to. Your closest friends are the ones that you are relaxed around. Um, you would say things to them that you wouldn't say to other people. Uh, you let down your guard a little bit more. You're just open with them, and you are yourself. You're just matter-of-fact, maybe, with them. That's what a good relationship looks like. An unhealthy relationship, you know, if me and my neighbor had an unhealthy, uncomfortable kind of relationship, we'd be always kind of, you know, um, what's the expression? Well, like walking on glass, I don't know, you know, just being very uh, cautious about how we talk about things with each other. It just wouldn't be a, a, a great relationship. And so in the same way with God, if that confidence is missing, um, it's, it's not a great relationship. I think I can say that with confidence. It's not a great, great relationship if that openness, that freedom of speech is missing. And we saw that happen to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. So an unassured heart, a heart that is under condemnation and is not able to find any reassurance, is in an unhealthy place because they are lacking confidence. 
heart that is unassured is unhealthy. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is that confident Christians bear more fruit. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Um, Here's a parallel verse in chapter 5 that also clarifies that we should be asking according to His will and again makes this connection between confidence and asking and receiving. 1 John 5, verses 13 and 14. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Asking and receiving is is one way we bear fruit. And maybe it comes down to it, maybe it's the only way we bear fruit. Um, Lord, help me to be patient. Lord, help me to be gentle. Uh, Give me the strength for this day. Deliver me from evil, and so on. Those who ask and receive are more fruitful than those who don't or don't very often. Christians who are confident in their relationship with God are are more likely to ask and receive. For one thing, I believe they're more inclined to pray. Um, If you're doubting about your relationship with God, uh, I think you'd be slower to ask things of Him. If I have a touchy relationship with my neighbor, probably not going to uh, ask to borrow his lawnmower. Definitely would not ask to borrow his lawnmower in the middle of the night. Uh, Luke 11, remember that, that parable there where Jesus told about the friend that um, someone came over on, from a long journey, goes in the middle of the night and beats on the guy's door and wakes him up. You know, that's, this is the kind of confidence and boldness we need to have. In the ESV, it uses the word impudence. could be translated uh, shameless persistence. Uh, Christians who are confident are more inclined to pray, and when they ask... They pray, I believe, with with greater faith. And we know that faith is a critical element to prayer. Um, In Matthew 21, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. James talks about it when he talks about getting wisdom. He says, um, asking for wisdom, let him ask in faith with no doubting. I believe that someone whose heart is condemning him and cannot find the fruit for reassurance, will struggle to ask and, and to ask in faith. Uh, just as an illustration, at work, if I have a good relationship with my boss, it affects actually how productive I am, how, how much I get done. Because if, if I'm on a project that is going south and he really needs to know the truth, if I don't have that kind of open, confident relationship, I might be very reluctant to tell him in time for him to kind of mitigate the fallout. So it's important for that relationship to be open. If I see that um, an opportunity for, for, um, for us to accomplish some, some other idea, something that would be a win for the university, I, I might be less, less inclined to go to him with that idea if we don't have that kind of open relationship. I might even be reluctant to say, you know, I would get more done if you would just give me a faster computer, which is something I actually have said recently. So there is some confidence there. 
Um, Christians who are confident in their relationship with God um, and with, with, with no hesitation ask and ask and receive, they are more fruitful. So let me recap these, these three kind of main lessons that I'm taking from these verses is that our fruit should be a source of reassurance, uh, an un, unassured heart is unhealthy, and, and finally, a confident Christian bears more fruit. Uh, and here's what I take away from, from these verses here in chapter 3. Uh, we do want to be confident Christians, and Christians who have that confidence in their relationship with God are at a healthier place. And that confidence does find some basis on the fruit that's in our lives. And so I, would, I think it's fair to say that if you're careless about how you live your life, you can put yourself in a place where it's hard to reassure your heart. This, this tool for reassurance, it, it's not really there because it's such a mixed bag of fruit maybe in your life, too mixed up to get a clear signal. So I don't think a careless Christian is a confident Christian. Now, he might be self-confident. It's another issue. So the challenge for me is, is not to put myself in that place and that I'm cooperating with the Spirit to, to see that fruit produced in my life so that um, that fruit would lead to more fruit. So the challenge is that uh, we learn what it means to walk in the Spirit and to lay aside the weights and to abide in Christ and to uh, not make provision for the flesh, that we put all those things and we redeem the time and walk circumspectly, that all those things characterize how we do this thing of Christianity. And if we do that, um, if we take that kind of approach to our life, I do believe that God is going to produce abundant fruit in us that we can look at and say, here is the evidence that God is at work and that I really am on the vine. And that, I believe, will produce the confidence that God wants there to be in our relationship with him. God bless you. Let's have a song.